We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of unique worship. And as they go, may the rest of us bow together and pray. You who come to us as one unknown, may we at least recognize the sound of your voice and be willing to say yes as Mary said yes. May we have the openness of heart on this first Sunday of a new year to hear old stories in new ways or old ways made new to us. Your eternal love has carried us through this Thanksgiving weekend and now into this new year. And we would ask in hope that you would use and bless this community of faith and all communities of faith in these times to be instruments of your holy peace. May peace prevail on earth as in heaven. In your holy name we pray, amen. Well, in a season of Christmas green and Starbucks red, um, Advent comes showing up to the party wearing purple. In a season of partying and shopping, Advent sounds like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge or even worse, John the Baptist with all this repent and bah humbug. And in a culture that, where you can hear 24 hours a day rocking around the Christmas tree, You come into church on the first Sunday of Advent and we read from the prophet Malachi and we sing in a minor key, O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's really not a very fair fight, is it? That's why some of us have been tempted more than once to put Advent in the closet with other relics of the past like Sunday night church services or sweetheart banquets or girls in action coronations so that we might be able to join the rest of the country and celebrate Christmas when it's supposed to be celebrated, which is the day after Thanksgiving. But in fact, Advent has been kept around for a long time because it bears some unique and old wisdom, which says to us that before we jump fully into Christmas, we, the people of God, need a season of reflection. We need some Sundays to think together about what it means to be the people before Christ came into the world who didn't have direction, who were looking and wandering and waiting. We're invited into a time where the people of God are asked the same question that was asked to the very first human beings on the first day they found themselves lost. It was a question that came to them from none other than God, who asked them, where are you? Wandering through the Garden of Eden, God calls out to Adam and Eve, where are you? Now, God knew their physical location, but there was something about the choices they had made, the actions they had taken, that prompted God to ask them and us, where are you? 
Where are you implies that we are not where we've been in the past and probably we're not where we're supposed to be. The question is, who's the question directed to? Who's the voice speaking to? Typically in church, we tend to think of those people who haven't done what we've done. They haven't shown up for church this morning. They're out ripping and running. They're having a good time while we're in here singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, in a minor key. But what if the question is not just for those bad people out there, and I'm teasing, of course, but what if it's a question for everyone, that there's an aspect of your life and my life where the question is an opportunity to examine where we are in relation to this center of love we call God, this wisdom of the ages we know as God. Where are we in relation? Are we connected? And where are we disconnected? Where are our priorities and pleasures and assumptions causing a disconnect? And where are we in the balance of life that's so urgent for for our own personal health, but our relationships and our ability to live in community? How much do we focus on ourselves? How much do we focus on others? How much do we guard against our own safety? How much do we look out for the safety of others? What is our life and where are we? Mary Oliver asks the great question, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Where are you? Some people veer off the path. We prayed earlier, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. But whereas God's path leads to steadfast love, for some reason, our paths can lead to shaky fear. Where God's paths lead to faithfulness, ours tends to lead to conditional love. I'll love you if. We all veer off the path. We all get lost. Not just lost, that initial lost, but all the days of our lives for lots of reasons and in many ways often not even detected by us. Sometimes we're the last to know that we're the ones who were lost. I know a woman who was raised to keep a very clean and orderly home. Her mantra that was handed down to her by those who came before her was that cleanliness is next to godliness. Yes, so to be a godly person would mean to keep your home clean. But somehow cleanliness veered off the path and moved into a spirit of perfectionism. It took over her life. It, it, it absorbs her holiday times. It absorbs all of her joy. It, there's no place that she can go that she's not thinking about what she needs to do and what needs clean next in her house. And now she's begun judging other people best on, based on her high standard of cleanliness so that people are tending to not want to be around her. It's as if she's created a prison out of her cleanliness. She didn't intend it. She's a good person. But like you and me, we all find ourselves having veered off the path. We simply forget 
who we are and what home looks like. What that sense of being centered in God ought to look like and feel like. I've told you before that when I was a teenager leaving to go out on a Friday or Saturday night, my parents would say to me these words, don't forget where you live, by which they meant don't forget who you are. We know you'll remember you live at 1117 Willowdale. Our concern is don't forget who you are so that you go out and get lost. We get lost as individuals, sometimes as families. Sometimes churches get lost. Sometimes nations get lost. We forget who we are and what's most important. Advent feels like an invitation to find our way home again to that place where we're welcome and valued, where we get to live out of what Richard Rohr calls our true self so that we're able to trust God through the dangers that will happen in every one of our lives And so for this Advent season, I've recruited the prodigal son from Jesus' parable in Luke chapter 19 to come along as our Advent companion, for here's a person who knows about being lost and found. Now, often when we hear the story of the prodigal son, we tend to get a mental picture of a narcissistic, individualistic uh, kid who just grabs what's his and flees home messes it all up, and returns home with his tail between his legs. I'll tell you, I preach many, many sermons just like that. And I probably will again. But this time, as I looked at the story of the prodigal son, I noticed that the story parallels stories that I've heard many, many times before. You have too. Joseph Campbell in the 1940s dubbed these stories the hero's journey. The hero's journey. The journey told a thousand times over. It's the story of Odysseus in the Odyssey. It's the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's the story of uh, Pinocchio going into the whale. It's the story of Jesus out in the wilderness. It's the story of Simba in Lion King. It's the story of Harry Potter. And I'm suggesting it's this story here, told yet again. The story of someone who feels compelled to leave the safety and restriction of home. We don't, we don't know why. We don't know if it's because he was narcissistic or whether he just had to get away from his older brother. I'm told that happens sometimes. But we start this journey even as toddlers trying to find that place outside of the bounds where we can express ourselves and find our own identity. We go without a map. We go by way of trial and error and often find ourselves in what Jesus refers to as the far country. The far country is that place with new ideas, new values, new worldviews, new freedoms, new options, which mean new choices, Choices to do for good or for ill. These opportunities to experiment and experience both the good and the bad create in every person a, a new insight and a new resource so that now, having been lost, we see our way home again. Only we come home differently, not just by a different path, 
but we're different people. We have not only new stories to tell, we have new insights to share. So the prodigal son, the hero's journey, it's not a literal journey. It's not geographic. We don't literally get to take the walk on the wild side that the prodigal son did. In fact, it's possible to take this journey without ever having left home. It is a journey that's often propelled by the events of your life. The things that happen to you and with you and for you and because of you that take you into a journey that really is deep inside of your own soul. It's a journey many many people fear, avoid. In fact, sometimes I wonder if all the Christmas hustle and bustle is a form of avoidance from taking this Advent journey of being lost deep within inside our own soul. I think that's what John the Baptist was inviting people to experience. He was trying to disorient them from their presumption that they had it made. They were, they were Abraham's children. He says to him right off, don't presume to say you're Abraham's children. I tell you, God can make stones into Abraham's children if God wants. In other words, God's not impressed with your performance. What God wants is for you to go deep with inside yourself. To realize that you're lost. I give thanks for the people who have pointed out to me when I'm lost. Because sometimes I'm lost and I'm not even aware that I'm lost. Blessed are those who tell us when we're lost. If you have two coats, John says, give one away. If you have food, give some away. Let go of the power to extort and demand taxes and force people to do things because you have power. Give it up. And trust just God alone. I have a mental picture. When I get to that place, when I center myself in God, and I take that journey deep into my own soul, into that place of my own fears, my own stories, my own secrets, inevitably, when I get to that place and it's dark, I don't know why this picture comes to my mind, but there's a light bulb hanging above me with a pull switch. And when I pull the light on, God is sitting next to me. For where is God found? God's found in the darkness. God's never found in the spotlight. God's never out. He comes to us, as the choir said, as one unknown. It's often in the deepest places of our fear where God shows up it's dark in that place but it's also a good place it's not dark as in bad and evil and this sin or that sin it's rather the darkness that Paul described to the Corinthians when he said we all see through the glass darkly it's murky we don't see it all we're not supposed to see it all If we saw it all, our name would be God. We're not God. 
This is the place in recovery program, step number one, where we discover that we're powerless. That's where God can work. Richard Rohr says if God wants to work in you, God has to do it secretly in the darkness. God's not even going to let you know what's going on because you're liable to get in the way. You may try to engineer the process yourself and thus destroy it, or you may try to stop it because you're afraid. You're afraid of the freedom and the spaciousness that God leads you to. Rohr says only the wise, broken ones allow ourselves to undergo God. To go into that place, to take that journey to the far country, deep inside our souls, where our stories and our patterns and our backgrounds, all of which form our fears and our ego needs and our sources of pride and our deepest secrets all reside. And they're there in the darkness because we hide them away. We hide them away because people have told us to be ashamed of them, even though, even though everyone has a soul. Everyone has that hidden place. It's like body parts. Everyone has one. Why are we so embarrassed? But we've been told to be ashamed. We've also been told this, that these stories of yours, these patterns, these fears, this background has nothing to do with religion. I'm here to say, I believe it has everything to do with religion. Because these hidden stories direct our lives. They take over. It's like the story I saw on the news where these computer hackers can get into certain cars, computers, and begin to operate the car from remote. Something takes over our lives, and it's these hidden stories that impact how we act and react and receive and reject, how we're fearful, how we're violent, how we're resentful, all of these things. And God is saying to you and to me, let's go there together. And see what can happen if love and light are brought into this space. It is the journey home to God. We could take turns today telling stories about the trips we've taken to the far country. They're mostly awful, but they're also transforming. They're mostly disorienting, but they're also grounding. We feel lost, but then we feel found. We feel the darkness, but then we see the light. The light, it comes. It's it's seen best in the darkness. It's like stars. They're seen best at night. The light is seen best in our darkest place because where the cracks are in our lives, the porch light of Christ's house shines and says to you and me, it's time to get up and come home. Not in disgrace. Not in shame. But transformed by love. Love. On Thanksgiving morning, Molly Braun stood at the front as we shared things we're thankful for. 
Molly, raised in this church, has been gone for some years, said when I was ready, home was waiting. This is the good news of God. When you're ready, home is waiting. The writer of the Gospel of John begins with, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overpower it. So this morning, would you be willing to say yes? To let God be with you in your dark, lost place and allow you, through love, to be found again. We sing together our Advent refrain. of response is number 85 Christians all your Lord is coming it is our song to invite you to come and be part of what God is doing here or for you to sing and stand and sing in faith as on this first Sunday of Advent we begin the journey together let's stand